Yeah, so how would you answer this question? And to set the context, you are a first-year teacher. It's your first class, first day, first minute. (laughs) Now, yes, you are from the community, so you do have some understanding of uh, where the students are coming from, right, and what they're going through. But the teacher prep program does not prepare you for this question, where the students ask you, literally, first thing, you know, you want to go into your, hey, this is who I am, and let me get to know you, and, you know, let's set up some agreements for the class and the norms. Nope, none of that, because the students ask you, will you still be here? Are you sticking around? How do you respond? Well, you're going to find out how Dr. Walker responded, because that's her story. Even though she was from the community and the first teacher, uh, I think, ever from the community to come back and teach at her school, that was her experience. And yes, teacher prep programs didn't prepare her for that moment, but she handled it brilliantly. And she is a master on culturally relevant teaching. And so we dive into that topic a lot today, too. Hey, it's Danny, Chief Ruckus Maker over at Better Leaders, Better Schools. And this podcast is for you, a ruckus maker, which means you invest in your continuous growth, you challenge the status quo, and you design the future of school now. And we'll be right back after some messages from our show sponsors. Learn how to recruit, develop, retain, and inspire outstanding individuals and teams to deliver on the vision of your school in leading people. A certificate in school management and leadership course from Harvard. Leading people runs from February 15th to March 15th, 2023. Apply by Friday, February 3rd. Enroll by Thursday, February 9th, and get started at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. Teachers use TeachFX to record a lesson and automatically get personalized insights into their classroom conversation patterns and teaching practices. See TeachFX for yourself and learn about special partnership options for ruckus makers at teachfx.com slash BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. All right, we're here with a ruckus maker, Dr. Shantoria Walker, a graduate from the University of Houston with a degree in professional leadership with an emphasis in literacy. Her research focuses on using culturally relevant pedagogy to influence literacy achievement for middle school black male students based on her experiences as a former eighth grade English teacher at an all boys prep academy. She also served on the Texas Teacher Advisory Board, a Teach Plus Policy Fellow, as well as a Senior Policy Fellow with Teach Plus Texas from 2014 to 2019. During her time and beyond, she's advocated for educational policy laws that directly impacted the classroom, as well as contributed to policy briefings for the revision of the Every Student Succeeds Act and national policy reports, such as If You Listen, We Will Stay, Why Teachers of Color Leave, and How to Disrupt Teacher Turnover. She also currently serves as the Executive Director of Education Powered. In her everyday work, she is committed to collaborating with teachers, administrators, and district leaders to ensure that all students receive an equitable literacy education across the district. 
graduating with distinction as summa cum laude of her doctorate cohort, her passion and dedication to literacy education, equitable education policy laws is interminable. Dr. Walker, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for having me today. I'm so excited to be on the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, and I'm excited to just dive into the conversation. All right, well, let's get to it. Tell us the story, Dr. Walker, of being, get this, the first teacher from the community to come back and teach at the school you went to growing up. Yes, I went to the University of Texas at Austin, grew up in Houston, Texas, from a neighborhood, Trinity Gardens, Houston, Texas. Never really thought that I was going to be a teacher until I was offered Mm -hmm. the opportunity. And so I was given the opportunity to teach in the area that I actually grew up in. And like you said, they told me I was the first teacher to ever teach there that actually grew up in the community. And the school had been around for over 20 years. Right. And so that was something where I was like, look, I have to bring a unique approach. It was an all boys preparatory academy, eighth grade English teacher. And I was told that, you know, with their multiple, I keep calling it deficits, but I want to call them opportunities at this point, because as you can imagine, all boys, black and brown boys, they had a large number of students listed as emotionally disturbed listed as categorizing special receiving special education services in the entire district. And so I knew I had like just a unique chance to change, you know, some of the narrative around them and their learning, especially in literacy and English. They projected them to be 50 percent passing. And what really brought me to them, what I noticed is that the students, my first day, you know, in teacher prep programs, they tell you, okay, you got to do this and you got to introduce yourself. My first day, the students were like, honestly, we get everything you're telling us, but are you leaving or are you staying? And that hit me different. And I knew that was something where it was more than me just coming and teaching content. I had to meet them at a different level. And that meant when they were asking, it was around the Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown times. A lot of kids were coming in with a lot of questions that I felt like even as a black woman, I didn't have the answers to. Well, let's turn this into an opportunity a learning opportunity. And so with the permission of the administrator and parents, support of the school and the community, we actually, for them, this specific group of young men, we actually retried the Trayvon Martin case. We did a mock trial and it wasn't to change the outcome of what it was, but the students had so many questions about how does this apply to me? How does this apply to my life? Where do I stand? Do people look like me going to see, you know, is this going to be their fate? Um, Also, some students, you know, as black boys, you know, we talked a lot about seeing adults, seeing them as adults, seeing the students as adults and treating them as that. So in my Mm -hmm. selfish nature, I felt like I was giving them almost survival techniques, you know, to teach speech, to teach debate, to show you that school is more than just these four walls, how to survive in your community how to give them wisdom, how to teach your family. So we retried the Trayvon Martin case. I had the students as judges. I had the students as bailiff. I had them as the jury, everything. And some of the students walked away with saying that they couldn't have even imagined themselves as more than being, 
you know, the inmate or the person in the jumpsuit in the courtroom, which is kind of heartbreaking, right? Had to to give them something different. And that was the point where I was like, okay, I am doing something almost transformative in the classroom. I know it's something that's out of the box, like you say, with the ruckus maker piece. And we did that. And that exposure allowed me to bring in text and literacy and all of that and really tap into cultural responsiveness. And by the end of that school year, those students end up scoring 84% passing with 14% commended based on little things. That was just one project, but based on some of the little things that I was able to do to really bring in, allow them to use their background and their experiences within the classroom. So that's something... (laughs) <laughs> Long story, but it's a story that really grounds me in the work that I do. <laughs> we'll get back to the we'll get back to the little things. A couple of ideas that I want to reflect back to the ruckus maker. One is just the power of reframing, right? So you talked about Dr. Walker seeing, you know, instead of deficits, there are opportunities. Mm-hmm. It may you know, it may seem like a small move as a leader, but that that really says a lot, you know. And then when you're communicating that to the team or to the students and that kind of thing, it, it has this huge ripple effect. So I appreciate you know, you sharing that. And then the other idea, you said almost transformational. No, like it was a transformational, you know, experience, no doubt about it, 100%. Into, like you said, it wasn't about changing the outcome, but I think, you know, what you mean is like giving students the insight of like how the whole process plays out, having them have ownership, you know, of understanding it and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, allowing them the opportunity to make meaning from the whole complex Mm -hmm. process, right? Which is really pretty cool. And obviously it is sad, right? To hear them say, hey, you know, the jumpsuit thing, like you said, like that's, you know, the only way they had saw themselves before. And the other thing, like for me, right? I never asked the teacher, are you staying? That just, that wasn't a part of my school experience. So why would I? And so I'm wondering if we could go back there really quick, because I, I still we're going to come back to the little things. Don't worry, I made a note. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't want to put anything, any words in your mouth. So what, what do you think is going on there? Because they have students and they're not super old at all. And they're right. saying like, that's how they're addressing you. Teacher, right? You're new here. Are you staying? Like, that's basically the first interaction. Right. What's going on? First interaction, first time meeting them, wanted to give my bio and my introduction and I had the questions in mind. I think what was happening, it was a few things, right, that I had to really peel off the layers. We talk a lot in Education Powered about peeling back the onion layers, right? One of the things is that, well, context is that the students had lost multiple teachers. And you can think about even now and today during the pandemic, and we're talking about after the pandemic or not, it's not over, but you know, the shutdown allowed for a lot of teacher shortages, a lot of people leaving, a lot of teachers taking it upon themselves to do something else. And I feel like even um, this is then and that was now, that what was happening to those students, right? Think about the mm-hmm. footprint that leaves. Um, what do students think when the teachers are leaving the classroom, especially those that they are making deep um, relationships and connections with? And so I came in actually at a time when they had lost at least three to four teachers I want to say it was a while back within the English classroom and the last teacher they had made, they really enjoyed. It was a black male teacher. They really enjoyed, but he got a leadership opportunity. Right. And so you think about leaving opportunities or if it's just burnout or if it's just pay. 
But that had left something within the students to where they were like, okay, cool. We know you got to teach English, but what are you really here for? Because we've been feeling like we're throwaway children. And so we don't want to no longer feel like that again. Right. And knowing that once they found out I was actually from the community, that was a whole nother thing. We got to talk about the local park. We got to talk about the, there's a trail for horses to go on trail rides, you know? And so I think that was a different aspect of building relationship and community that I was able to tap into. But at that time, I felt like I had to build up some confidence and some reassurance and some trust because they like, okay, we get that. Everybody has done the same thing, but are you going to be here the long term or not? You know, so that is something that will forever stay with me um, since day one. And that was my first experience (laughs) as a teacher Mm -hmm. the first day. Yeah. And like you said, you know, you you didn't necessarily, uh, feel like a teacher prep program, right? Mm-hmm. Got you ready for that kind of experience. Yeah. Else, you know, do you remember like the chasm between teacher prep, what they said education is going to be? And then now you're there, you're doing the work. Kids are like, hey, you staying? Yeah. Were there any other sort of big uh, rifts, right? Between the two, reality and the program, prep program. Definitely. We talk a lot about this, too, when we are getting pre-service teachers in service, like even education majors, Within the teacher prep program, of course, there's a specific curriculum that you need to teach. I need to know pedagogy. I need to know instruction. I need to know my content to get ready. But what it doesn't and didn't get me ready and what I'm still seeing as a gap is the, which is, you know, we'll go into the culture responsiveness. But I think that community aspect, those questions that weren't necessarily within my deck to get ready for, you know, you introduce yourself. You teach this content, you know the standards, you know, but it's like, well, if a student tells me he does not like to read, that was something Mm -hmm. I had to kind of fend for on my own. How do I get this student the intrinsic motivation? Because the other factors are there is things that are going on in the media that he's seen that doesn't necessarily enable or make him believe that he can do. There are things that when he walks out outside of this schoolhouse that he's being exposed to as a young man that I need to be able to leverage. That's not in the context of my teacher prep program. Mm-hmm. Depending on where you're going to school and where you're teaching, some teachers in essence never really have to deal with that or associate with that. And we talk a lot about this in Houston in in different areas. This was North Houston. I grew up in traditional public school. Of course, this was a charter school, so we had a little bit more autonomy, but it was still a resource piece that we needed. It was still an exposure Mm -hmm. piece that wasn't able. If you go to a little bit further in Houston, Texas, to the Bel Air area, they had a lot of resources. They had books for all kids. They had exposure to where they go. I just feel like in my teacher prep program, it got me ready to address the content, the English to teach, but it didn't necessarily get me ready on how to reach, if that makes sense. And so that was something... That was my journey into the doctorate that I end up pursuing. My focus was using culture responsive pedagogy to influence literacy achievement for black male students, of course, <laughs> based on that. But that was kind of my journey to say, oh, OK, this is what it's going to take to actually reach a specific not just demographic, but there are a lot of students still this day that are still falling through the cracks that we are just kind of trying to put a Band-Aid on. And so mm. that's kind of where mm. that kind of comes from. Right. Just because it's fresh in my mind, I just streamed with him right before you 
in his podcast released a little earlier. So for you and then for the ruckus maker watching or listening, Will Jawando wrote a book about uh, my seven black fathers, right? Mm-hmm. And since we're talking about black boys, right? Like that's a cool episode and a great book to go back and look at. So that's just in case you don't know Will, Dr. Walker, and then for the ruckus maker, like definitely check out that show and his work too. And uh, what I was going to say, uh, you know, your story really clicked for me for ruckus makers because, you know, the teacher prep programs, let's let them off the hook a little bit in the sense that, mm-hmm. you know, they might not necessarily know the context of your school, right? And they're trying to prepare students for all sorts of schools. And my mom you know, loves to tell the story of, you know, when I went through college, I said, I am not coming back to the suburbs, mom. And she was shocked, right? She's right. like, what? You know, you were raised out here. It's like great school system. They pay awesome. Like people are set up for life. And I said, to be honest, and looking back, I was still pretty much right, but there was a little bit wrong. I said, those kids don't really need me. I need to go where my talents, you know, my skill set could be best utilized, right? And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work in more challenging environments. Now, there's still kids that wouldn't need me out there, but whatever, that wasn't my story. And so that's my long way of saying the ruckus maker listening, they're an expert of their context. So, you know, did you have a teacher onboarding experience at this school and that kind of thing? Because I'm willing to bet the principal knew you were going to be asked, are you staying? Right. And so what does our onboarding look like for new teachers, even if they're from the community, to make sure okay, they got the education, the teach part, but you said the hard part, the reach. Can I connect with these kids and help them learn and open doors of the future? Like they they could have set you up feeling a little bit better maybe, but do you remember, was there an onboarding experience? And I'm not asking you to bash them. I'm just, I'm really just- (laughs) No, actually it gave me the, what you call it, the authority and the autonomy to put input. Actually, I had great leadership And so when they found out, they were the ones who told me I was the one that actually taught in the community. And when they found out, they actually, as a brand new teacher, straight out of college, ready to teach, they actually invited me to be a part of the planning of onboarding Mm -hmm. for all teachers. And one of the things was, let's do a community walk. You know this community. This is something we haven't gotten to do. So why don't you give us input and feedback on the places we need to go? Let's go and start making those actual connections. We're going to get you ready for the school. And they sat me down and told me the reality because they was also like, you want to stay? You know, we... (laughs) You know, it was one of those things, but it was such great leadership at the time. And they were so supportive to where they included me and being a part of the onboarding process. So beyond all of the first year things that you need to know or the first school, you know, beginning of the school year things you need to know, we also were able to include that and take the teachers. And I was actually able to share a bit of myself, but then also give them more context in the school Um, in the students that we are serving. And so I think that really allowed me to say, oh, I do have a voice versus being a new teacher. And I'm just taking a water hose of content and context in without being able to actually share pieces of myself. So I think that actually catapulted a lot of stuff as well. Right. Sweet. Dr. Chris Jones, I was commenting on your story and he just said powerful move, right? So the leaders to see just all the value you bring in, because Dr. Jones here, he's all about seeing your teachers. He has a book called Seeing the Lead, but it's about being a teacher first, you know, building, 
Because if you take care of the teachers out of the abundance of them feeling cared for, they can give to the kids. So he's highlighting how smart that was. And I agree. All right. Well, let's get back to, you know, you said your doctorate had to do with, you know, culturally relevant teaching and that kind of thing. And you said there's a bunch of little things you did. We hear how you recast, you know, the Trayvon Martin trial. And that was interesting. But what are some of the other things you did? as a teacher, or what are things that you recommend, right? The ruckus makers, especially at the classroom level, what are some culturally relevant things that they could do? I realized that at I will be full transparency. I did not know it was culturally responsiveness when I was doing it. And when yeah. I start, you know, you we say this yeah. and we say this a little bit in the book to right. culture to the max, that what we was doing, we realized that other people had already paved the way. Of course, we talk about Dr. Geneva Gay, Dr. Gloria Lassen Billings. We talk about all these people, but we realized we were just doing something out of the box, ruckus maker, and then yes. we realized oh this is this is something that's actually they actually have a name for this one of the things that I remember vividly that I think built trust which I think is really a piece especially if you have a different cultural background than your students is that in the literacy classroom one of the boys kept saying I don't like to read I hate reading I don't want to go near the bookshelf and one of the problems is first of all they didn't see themselves as successful when it came to the literacy and the English classroom Another thing is that the bookshelf was torn. It was broken down. We had, uh, you know, shelves that were broken. We had books that just did not look appealing. And so I told the students, like, look, let me let me try. You know, let's see what we can do. One of the things I say with the support of the administrator, we were able instead of buying a new bookshelf, which at the time we really didn't have the resources or the funds for. We were able to rebuild the bookshelf together to look as appealing. And when I say we, I'm talking about the students. So we were able Mm -hmm. to design the bookshelf that looks appealing to the students, something you want to go to. Another thing we did was if a student told me, I was like, well, what do you like? Well, I like to read. I like horses or I like bikes. Or I I say, okay, well, let me go find you a book that has something to do with horses and bikes. And believe it or not, a lot of the kids were just like, Yo, they got books out there like that. <laughs> like It was just really something that was really appealing to them to where they like, oh, OK, not only is she trying to, you know, teach us this content, she really is trying to get us to be not love literacy or interested in literacy, but seeing that we see something of ourselves in these books, whether it's something that's meaningful, that's big in my personal life or big in this classroom. Because if a kid told me something as small as, oh, this is my interest, this is something that I would go and research and look for. Another thing we did something called Real Talk Friday, where in my class, I had the biggest classroom in the building at the time. I would invite all of the eighth graders. I was the only lady on the eighth grade team. Shout out to a phenomenal eighth grade team. But we would all pile in my classroom and the men would give me the brotherhood, would give me the floor to allow the students and the young boys to talk about the plight of being a young black or brown male within society today. And that Mm -hmm. was so powerful to where we were able to bring in community leaders that led some of the discussions. We were able, and this was seven to, I want to say 7.45 on every Friday, something that took a little bit of time, but that was so powerful. The kids were able to see each other in a different light. They were able to really listen and really connect on a deeper level versus just sitting in a classroom and getting everything from the teacher. 
I was able to lead it, but they carried it. And I think that's something that I encourage even through my, I was an instructional coach. I was a campus instructional specialist. I worked at the districts. We have to give students the opportunity to elevate their voices and actually see each other. When you think about even organizing desks, uh, the way I would set up Real Talk Fridays is we sit on the floor, but we sit to where we're facing each other. I actually see you for who you are, and I'm not just facing the front and never really aware of what's around me. I think those are, I, I call them small but impactful pieces that I remember doing that I still encourage until this day because it's so many times where we're just going to school. It's a monotonous thing. Everything is the same. We get in, we get out the bell ring and we leave. But it has to be deeper than that. And I think that was something that the students were able to walk away with that was powerful for them. Yeah. And the way to bring it deeper, I mean, in the simplest way is just understand where the kids are coming from and meeting them there and providing them avenues, right, and pathways to continue to amplify, you know, their interests, which you did through the bookshelf story or, or through uh finding the books on just topics they care about and obviously having discussions on the black male experience even early in the morning, but you know what? It was important to them. So they showed up. So super cool. I'm loving our conversation, Dr. Walker. We're going to take a quick pause to uh, get in some messages from our sponsors. When we get back, I'd like to invite you to talk about your book, Culture to the Max, Culturally Responsive Teaching and Practice. And we'll talk about the four domains found in that book. Well, learn how to successfully navigate change, shape your school success, and empower your team with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Get online PD that fits your schedule. Courses include leading change, leading school strategy and innovation, leading people, and leading learning. Apply today at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. Teachers use TeachFX to record a lesson and automatically get personalized insights into their classroom conversation patterns and teaching practices. See TeachFX for yourself and learn about special partnership options for ruckus makers at teachfx.com slash BLBS. And today's show is proudly sponsored by Organized Binder, a program that gives students daily exposure to goal setting, reflective learning, time and task management, study strategies, organizational skills, and more. Organized Binder's color-coded system is implemented by the teacher through parallel process with students, helping them create a predictable and dependable classroom routine. You can learn more and improve your students' executive functioning at OrganizedBinder.com. And we're back with Dr. Walker, who has a book out that's called Culture to the Max, Culturally Responsive Teaching and Practice, and we highly recommend that Ruckus makers, go check that out. Now, Dr. Walker, there's four domains found in the book. Do you mind just sharing an overview of what those domains are? Yes. So I co-authored this book with my business partners, David McDonald, Andre Ross, and Danielle Ross. And we believe that culturally responsive teaching is embedded within four domains. You need one for the other one. It is authentic engagement, community partnerships, social justice, as well as culture management, not classroom management, but culture management. And we feel like we hear about culturally responsive teaching in theory, as well as in practice, but you need these four in order to really make it. When we say to the max, we mean to turn it all the way up. And so those are the four domains that we have found as well as in the standards. 
Brilliant. And, you know, all those are important to me. I do want to dig into two before we sign off Mm -hmm. today, if we have time. One of them, I know all the ruckus makers listening, they're always thinking about community partnerships. So can you give us something practical that they can do to form stronger community partnerships? Yes. So David McDonald, which is our founder and CEO of Education Power, that's mainly what we did was we took chapters. So that's mainly his area, his chapter. But if I had to do a, not a but, and if I had to do a practical one, one of the things is one of the stories that I said, bringing in and finding out the background of your teachers and allowing them, Mm -hmm. especially do have a teacher that brings in a unique feature as if growing up in the community, allowing them to introduce um, the community aspect to the teachers, allowing that to be a part of the onboarding and ongoing professional learning, right? Knowing who your students are based on the surrounding community is too often that teachers drive to the school. And I know we tired, you know, I was there too. We drive to the school and we go home, but what local barbershops do you know? What local community leaders do you know? What local advocates do you know? When I was in elementary school, one thing that we did have was a weekly person that looked like us, looked like the students that came in from community leader, from a judge. We used to have lawyers. We used to have, and these people grew up in the community. Sanfronia Thompson is still within the community and she would come visit my elementary often. And she is at the Capitol. She is in the, you know, she is people- And the epitome of seeing what I could be based on who comes and who comes to talk to us. And that's what David talks a lot about in his first chapter about actually allowing the community aspect. We have to protect the kids. We have to be safe because that's a little bit of the feedback we get. But also there is no way that you can have a school without community. We recommend if there is a local barbershop, please go talk to those people Please go see what they have done for the community. If there is a local advocate, if there's a YMCA that is around the corner from your school, see how you guys can partner and bring them into the school or take your students there. If that is something that hasn't been done, it needs to be done very soon. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, it's just like it's painting the vision for how you want the partnership between the school and let's say Mm -hmm. the barbershop to occur, inviting them to have a seat at the table to help co-create, you know? But the answer is always no unless you ask, right? And you're not going to have that partnership if you never reach out. And who knows what you can accomplish just by reaching out and saying, we need you, you know? And what can we do in collaboration together? I was going to say, the reason I use the barbershop is not just to get to know the head barber, but the student that you might think has the biggest issue or behavior problem, and maybe he don't. And it may not appear that he has a community. And when he walks into the barbershop every Saturday morning, he probably has a net of people that praise him, that pull him close, that listen to his problems, that has generations of family history from that one local barbershop. And so you can learn so much more about that one student. And that's just one example from speaking to just the head barber or somebody that's been there over 30 years within the community that can give aspects of change you know, versus just, okay, we're going to partner, but it's a lot you can learn about this one kid that may cause problems that actually can transform how they experience school and how they experience their community. Right. Well, that's about all the time we'll have for uh, digging into the book. But again, I'm going to highly recommend that Ruckus Makers check out Dr. Walker's book, Culture to the Max, Culturally Responsive Teaching and Practice, and go get a copy today. Uh, So, I want to ask you the questions that I ask all my guests here at the end. 
the first question would be if Dr. Walker could put a message on all school marquees around the world for just a day, what would your message read? We use a quote and with Education Power called Where Culture Meets Education. And at this point, it shouldn't be a separate piece. It should be culture and education as two, as one and together. And so it should definitely be something where culture responsiveness is not an and. It is how we teach. It is what we are. And that is something that I would put on every single marquee if I could. <laughs> right. It's the essence of what we do. Cool. And if Dr. Walker was building her dream school, right? And you weren't limited by any resources, your only limitation is your imagination. What would be the way you built this dream school? What would be the top three guiding principles? No, the top three guiding questions. I mean, the top three priorities I think I would have is with literacy, cultural responsiveness, of course, and authenticity. I think those pieces are the biggest pieces where if you always tell kids, if you can't read, you can't write. If you can't read, you can't do science. If you can't read, you can't do social studies, math and all of that. We have to be able to raise those literacy pieces. We have to be able to be culture responsive and students have to be able to know that they can bring their whole selves within the classroom and not feel like they have to leave a piece of themselves or their identity outside of the classroom in order to be a part. And so that's those are my three biggest things. Great. And the last question, you know, we covered a lot of ground today, Dr. Walker. So of everything we talked about, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker? to remember? The one thing I want to ruckus make it to remember, I'm going to keep going back to that culture responsiveness. It should not just be a piece where I have to do one and done. It definitely, like we say in the book, is from theory to practice. I just had a recent conversation that was like, well, we've adopted it. We know what it is. We know the definition. And over 10 years, things haven't changed. And my push is, but what's the practice? What are you doing? Where can we help? What pieces? It has to go from the idea of culture responsive education, culture responsive pedagogy into the practice. And let's not only make it for the classrooms and put the heavy lift on the teachers, but how are we creating culture responsive communities? How are we leading in culture responsive environments? And how are we ensuring that our students are fully able to bring their whole selves within the classroom? I think that's something that I would, would leave as a lasting thought for our ruckus makers, because it is something that has been enlightening. And I see the measurements, I see the growth, I see the test scores and all of that. We always want to know that part. But then who are we in allowing to be their best selves when they come in? And that's the best for our students as well as our teachers. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed. Mm-hmm.